This is Paul Robinson. You're listening to Starseed, an intrepid adventure with Mark Glenn Moore. In this episode of Starseed, we'll be interviewing Earl Gray Anderson, and I'll give you his short biography as quickly as possible. He is MUFON State Director of Southern California and an executive member of MUFON's ERT, which is the Experiencer Resource Team, and hosted both the Experiencer Workshops, last year's MUFON Symposium in Denver, and will host the same at events in this year's MUFON Symposium in Ohio. He's personally investigated over 900 UFO reports and experiences and specializes in experiencer slash high strangeness cases, has appeared on multiple radio shows, podcasts, TV shows, such as Unidentified with Demi Lovato, the Travel Channel's Storming Area 51 special, and the season finale of Motor Trend Television's Motor Mythbusters, Cars vs. UFOs. He was featured in three documentaries all released this year, also represented the MUFON's experiencer research team and shared his own experiences in the History Channel's most viewed show, Ancient Aliens. Featured keynote speaker at Oregon's 2023 McMenamin's UFO Fest, teaches an accredited course in ufology, UFOs, and other worlds at Los Angeles's Otis College of Art and Design. A singer, songwriter, and a guitarist with three CDs under his belt. We'll chat with him about his experiences and what he does in this world and how they compare with what Mark's experiences are. And here we go. Thanks. And how are you? Doing pretty good. Just busy today. I woke up early because they wanted me on uh, San Diego Sports Radio to talk about UFOs, of all things. I guess even the sports channels are interested in this now, which is very interesting. So then I had uh, a possible you know, a woman contacted me on, on Facebook and told me that her sons had seen a, a giant UFO land over, well, hovering over Zuma Beach. Wow. And that they thought they saw aliens. And so anyway, I got hold of them and and they sent me their video and it was actually the Starlink satellites that they had seen. And I guess they were, yeah, psyching each other out. Um for a little bit, it sounded like Dan Harari's uh, novel, you know. <laughs> I guess yeah, a giant, a, a giant spaceship, and they saw the aliens and everything. Yeah, over over Zuma Beach. <laughs> uh, you know, you just you, you have to keep a sense of humor in this thing. <laughs> yeah, sure. you know, everybody wants to see a UFO now. It's it's a different day and age. Yeah, it used to be people, you know, didn't want to say if they'd seen something because they were afraid people would think they were crazy. And now it's like uh, everywhere. I know. And it's it's just a good, though, example of having to get a first witness, you know, secondhand report sucks. You know, the, the mom, you know, she was like saying, yeah, they saw aliens and all this stuff and like all right okay okay well let me talk with them and you know we should probably have them put in a MUFON report and then I I saw what they were crowing about and it was like oh no 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 we actually have a special uh button that we'll push now on Starlink cases or else we'd be just spending all of our time closing them because we'll get like a hundred uh reports and to move on when they i've i've taken to whenever there's a spacex uh flight 
you yeah. know, a launch from out at Vandenberg. I, I announced it on, on social media and, you know, hoping that I'll cut down some of the UFO reports that we would otherwise get that would waste our time. I, I've, I've been down there when one of those were <clears throat> coming down and it, it it's impressive. I mean, you, you really, you're not, you know, if you don't know what's going on. It, <laughs> yeah. It looks weird. Impressive. Yeah, right. It looks really strange. I was at, uh, I was just coming out of a, a, a pharmacy, CVS, and it was one of the first, uh, first Dragon rocket flights, right? Right. For people were used to seeing them, and it, it looked very, very weird, but I knew what it was because we, you know, I knew about it and what time it was going to be launched. Right. And there's all these people like a lot of hispanic guys like pointing up going ovni ovni you know it's <laughs> ufo in espanol yeah, right. and and i'm trying to explain no elon musk <laughs> elon musk it's yeah. not ovni <laughs> but uh oh well well yeah know. and if it were uh, it's also interesting if it were 10 years ago it totally would be you know you would be saying it's just like magic you know you see a if you saw a, a television a hundred years ago, you'd go, "Oh my God, there's we're, there's some kind of d- demonic intervention yeah. going on, right?" Mm-hmm. No, it's just absolutely technology. Yeah, racing ahead. That's exciting. Well, speaking of that, I noticed in uh, in your email, there's part of the, the word mage is, is mentioned in there. M a g e. Mm, yeah do you you dabble in that world uh not really you know a little little bit maybe some years ago uh i i i you know i mean i i think that all mystical stuff is interesting uh but mostly i'm i'm kind of a i don't know how would i describe myself a um kind of a um Oh, there's a word for it. Um, I actually relate as a Christian, but not as I don't relate to any of the Christians out there now. I'm I'm kind of a you know magical magic Christian, maybe is a way to put it. Yeah, yeah I was thinking about that today. How religion is is so human centric, and it doesn't really leave room for any, any other races outside of this planet. And, and think about that, that's not right. You know, it's like, why should we be the center Mm-mm. of the universe? Oh, I know. Well, the Catholics are smart because they're embracing it. They've known about this a long, long time. Hmm. Um, you know, Diana Pasolka Walsh, who wrote American Cosmic, actually works at the Vatican uh, Library, and there's the big UFO section to the Vatican Library that goes back oh. uh, goes back to antiquity. It goes back all the way back there, right? <laughs> goes back to 300. Yeah. The Vatican come together? Probably. So they're, they're being smart because they're embracing it. They, they already knew about it, and they figure, yeah, this is coming out to the public, and if we want to remain, you know, like relevant we have to embrace this and um it certainly makes you read scripture differently when you know about this stuff yeah and and, and i think the book of enoch should be in there i mean that kind of explains it all and, and it's not you know the the council of nicaea decided that that didn't belong in there it was going to confuse people and well actually it would probably 
explain a lot of stuff to people that's going on right now. But, you know, there you go. You know, I'm a big fan of Dr. D's and he was definitely into Enochian magic. That's really Mm -hmm. where he was trying to go. And he somewhat wrote the book on it, but he he had a lot of interesting, uh, strange luck in his life, too. Well, I, you know, the way I see it is, is that, you know, God manifests in different ways and in different forms. And I have no problem with Gaia theory and, and things like that. I, in fact, I, I ground and center before I do anything really important, um, you know, just to kind of connect with the earth energies and um, it'd probably horrify a lot, of, <laughs> a lot of people, but, but that's, you know, so, I mean, the, the majest thing is there, but, but, uh, but it was more like the wise men or the wise guys, you know. Hi, this is Sandy with Olanapua here in Maui, Hawaii. I own an ocean view penthouse studio condo here at the beautiful Kanapali Shores Resort in West Maui. This oceanfront property has two pools, a restaurant, a full bar, a day spa, and on-site activity planners who will book your day trips all over the island. In addition to walking distance food shops, the resort is located just a 15-minute drive to the town of Lahaina, where you will find plenty of restaurants, shops, and live music. To check room rates and availability for your Hawaiian getaway at Aston Kanapali Shores, Unit 936, go to Hope to see you there. Aloha. It is ufology, and, and I don't care what they, whoever the they is, calls anything, you know? It's like they want us to call them UAP, and I, I just, you know what, you guys, well, they made us change it from flying saucers to UFOs back after the Robertson panel in 1953, and now they want to rebrand it again because they, they just don't want to have to account for bad behaviors and and ridicule and everything else they've done over the years. But it it makes sense that because they have to rebrand it. So let's just say that all this has been going on and it's been um, hidden. And now the aliens are pushing the agenda. Mm -hmm. Let's give that an idea. So now the humans aren't in control of suppressing all this stuff that's going on, the aliens are saying, well, you know what? We're actually going to show up. <laughs> and, and so when we do, what are you going to, how are you going to explain it? Well, I think the toothpaste is out of the tube. It is. Okay. And right now I think they're trying to fit the Pentagon. They're trying to figure out how to deal with it. I mean, they certainly don't want to pony up the information that they've known about this for, you know, 90 years or however long it's been. I mean, they don't want to have to answer for Roswell and what they did, you know, putting a whole city on lockdown pretty much. Yeah. uh, Threatening children at certain points. You know, that's a big desert out there and nobody would ever find your bones is what they told one little girl that, you know, wanted to go and, you know, talk. Um, So so they keep going. (laughs) 
Well, no, no. I, yeah, I, we have a bunch of questions for you. Okay, let's and, go. And, okay, <laughs> and um, you know, and so um, I want to I, I want to ask one thing uh, up front, and it's going to be left field. Sure. Okay, but I would like your input on this. And I've talked to Paul about this. So I have complications with um, digital media or, or anything I'm working on a digital platform. I have emails and voicemails that show up three or four days or longer later than they were sent. And I've talked to Paul about this. And it's, especially with the voicemails, it only started after I did this podcast. Mm. All, there are voicemails that just don't show up, um, but they do end up showing up. But where do they go? I mean, what purgatory do they live in before they show up in my inbox? It's really bizarre. Mm. So the question I have for you, now that you speak, you're, you're a MUFON representative in Southern California. We're going to talk about that. And you publicly are speaking now about your alien interaction, which we're going to talk about. The question I have, do you, is your communication being interfered with? I, I think so. Uh, I was on another show that uh, it was a two hour show. And this was uh, about a week ago. And uh, we were an hour in, and we started talking about the Pentagon and how pretty much what we were just talking about, about how they aren't going to want to pony up this information about, uh, you know, the, the, this uh, David Grush, I guess the guy's name is, the whistleblower, because there are just too many bodies buried around this stuff, and they, they don't want to have to answer those questions. And we started talking about that, and their server died. <laughs> and he said that it's the first time that that's ever, ever happened. Um, on Zoom, I have one other instance that I can think of. It was an uh, experience or resource team uh, meeting we were having. Um, it was, uh, I'm trying to remember who the speaker was, but it was somebody who was involved in, in officialdom. And we were about halfway through, and again, we I started talking about, you know, I was asking questions about, uh, there were about 75 people in this meeting. It was very well attended. And I was asking questions uh, about uh, about the Pentagon and, and, and uh, the bad behaviors that they've exhibited in the past towards uh, people involved in the UFO uh, conspiracy that tried to whistle blow, tried to come forward and and as soon as we started talking about that, their platform, Zoom just went down. It was like somebody had, had hit the switch and, and ended the meeting. Weird thing I've, I've ever seen. So, you know, I, I have to figure that perhaps there, there'd be, you know, something going on there. And the whole premise is that essentially they've been technology hoarding, you know, for their own war ends so they can have an upper sure. whoever they're against. And they don't want anybody to know exactly what you're saying, where the body, quite literally, where the bodies are buried because mm -hmm. 
sure they've rolled over a bunch of parties in the in the meantime. Well, and and then so on that note, and thank you for that, because I think there's something I think there's something more to discuss there. But you know, we've had Paul Hynek on three times, and we want to talk about your you know your experience with Paul Hynek and your friendship. Uh, we're going to get to that. Yeah, 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 well, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, how did you come the DMT? Well, I, yeah, I, I, <laughs> you I want to talk about the DMT. Oh, good. No, sure, that's, that's fine. Have you had experiences with DMT? Or I have not. I have not. In my misspent youth, I, I definitely played around with psychedelics, so I do know that world, and I think it does give you an opening into the other dimensional elements of our universe probably strips away some of the blinders that evolution gave us to because evolution kind of hotwired us for three things for to to recognize predators to find mates yeah, and to find fear, food yeah the fear factor be a, a, a fight or flight fight or flight yeah. mm-hmm and and that's kind of I mean evolution didn't fine tune our skills so much as it it, it put blinders on us you know it, it it's all about uh, reproduction and 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 survival and so I think that some of the you know more esoteric stuff that that we maybe were were more open to uh, before we we became civilized if you can call this that. Um, I think that we probably lost some of that. And so I think that the thing that's interesting about DMT, though, is, is that that chemical is naturally in your brain. It is, yes. it is and, and I read, because Paul and I have been talking about this with our conversation about, you know, when we um, re-engage with Paul Hynek, Um apparently there's a lobe in your brain, and when you die, it, it triggers that in release hmm i didn't know that hmm and and then it triggers basically near-death experience hmm it's euphoric when you diet is that what you said when you when you hmm. what when you diet is that what? <laughs> when you die did i say when that you when you die? diet I yeah <laughs> i know that you don't feel a whole lot of okay, euphoria okay. while dieting right. so but, earl, but... earl allow me to finish my thought and then we're sure. going to paul so with Paul Hynek, so one of the interesting things um, is about the DMT. He's experienced it, and he's and he had uh, supervision, and it was a great, I mean, a great experience for him. Paul Robinson sent me a link on. This is a text link to DMT retreats where you have a shaman, and it's all guided, right? Mm-hmm. Ayahuasca. Ayahuasca. Oh, ayahuasca. But what happened the next day? Facebook. All of a sudden, Facebook on retreats for ayahuasca in Costa Rica show up on my Facebook feed. And Paul just sent me a text. So (laughs) who, who is looking at this stuff? And and how does that happen? That's Google. <laughs> yeah, Facebook listens to you, and you can have it turned off. I mean, the same thing happens to me too. No, no, I was just a text, though. 
I think so. Yeah, I think it's all kind of interconnected. It's the right. AIs that they have now. I mean, I was looking up um, some, what was it, two thousand the 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 novel two thousand and ten by Arthur C. Clarke, oh, just to great. see what year it had uh, been published, and suddenly on on unrelated like like unrelated emails and stuff, uh, it was it was showing up, you know. Uh, 2010 coming from, you know, it, it was, it was coming from Amazon. It was coming from all over the place. So I, you know, it, it is interconnected and that, that happens. You, you talk about a certain kind of tea or whatever, you know, it's going to be there <laughs> advertisements the next day. It's a little scary, but, um, yeah, we're, we're, we sort of think we have our solitude, but as soon as you're online, no, uh, -uh. And everything's kind of known it's all about shopping <laughs> yeah yeah well there you go there's the one of the three the food gathering the the mating and the you know surviving uh predators <laughs> okay well, let's talk fine about tune you. to do that let's let's we want to know about your story so sure you want to tell us about what, what was your first experience in terms of ufos Well, you probably want to know about my my mom. Um, my journey, I, I've always had a propensity for UFOs and, and, and alien life. It seems like that was born in me somehow. Um, one of my earliest memories is climbing up the monkey bars. My dad built like a wooden swing set for us. That's what they used to do back in 1963. Uh, he was a bit of a carpenter. And uh, I, I would I remember climbing up to the top that I had taken some wood that was left over from the playhouse that he was also building. And I, I constructed a, a reasonable facsimile of a spacecraft, I thought, for I was about maybe four years old, begged my dad to haul it up to the top of the monkey bars. <laughs> Parents wouldn't do that now. Um, but he did. And I climbed up there and I'm, I'm sitting in my little spaceship away the sky singing and my mom is like yelling through the kitchen window who are you singing and waving to Earl and I said the space people mom I'm waving and singing to the space people um it just you know for for whatever reason it, it was just always there um when I was five years old um I I went into the kitchen for breakfast it was like a normal day we had like a cheery yellow painted you know, breakfast in Venice, California is where we were living. And my mom started talking to me in a voice that I wasn't used to. She was talking to me like I was in another, another adult. She started talking about when she worked over at Hughes Aircraft back in the 1950s. And her working for Howard Hughes, that wasn't news for us, right? All of our relatives knew that that she had been one of Hughes's secretaries. He had a couple. Uh, she worked at the Sepulveda uh, facility out here in Los Angeles. And, uh, but she said that they sent her out with a little security team. Uh, she didn't tell me where they sent her, but she said it was the great American desert. Could have been, could have been White Sands, uh, New Mexico, could have been Area 51 as far as I know. 
but uh, they, they sent her with this little team and, and she said that there was this a shack. It was like a concrete bunker. A shack is what she called it. Didn't look like much. She wondered why they sent her out to the middle of the desert to look at tools or <laughs> tractors. She didn't know what. Um, but they opened this thing up and there was an elevator inside. Um, this surprised her, but, you know, she she got into the elevator with them and then she figured maybe it would go down a couple of floors. But she said that as this thing started up, it had it, it went down and it kept going. And she said it kept going until she felt butterflies in her stomach. She felt vertigo. She described it as butterflies. And she said the doors opened up. And when they did, there was a little city underneath the desert. She said that uh, they would get around in, in these little golf carts that they, uh, a lot of old German rocket scientists that we acquired after World War II were working in this facility. And uh, she said that they had a bowling alley, that they had a movie theater, that there was a barber shop, and the guy that had the barber shop could actually do her hair for her. I don't think there were a lot of women that were working down there at this point, but they did plotate it for her. Um, she mentioned how the, the there was one little cafe that they had that had umbrellas over the tables like you'd see in a French cafe. And she laughed about it. She said, well, you don't need an umbrella in a cave. And she that, she, that kind of tickled her for some reason. But um, she she's talking about this. And, you know, I was five. You know, when you're five years old, you kind of have, still have a capacity for wonder. So it was just kind of like, oh, OK. And then she said to the something to the effect of and oh, by the way, UFOs and intelligent life in the universe is a real thing. We already know about it. Um, we, it's already a, something that's known. So that was the first time that I ever heard about, you know, UFOs or, or anything like this. Um, so anyway, mom didn't really talk about it that much. I think she, the next time I really heard more about it, when I was 10 years old, I was in fourth grade and I went and did a show and tell in front of my fourth grade class. What do your parents do? <laughs> so I talked about my dad's landscaping business. And then I talked about my mom when she used to work for Howard Hughes and how she worked in this uh, underground city in the middle of the desert. And oh, by the way, UFOs and aliens are, are a real thing. Uh, and I'll say I got teased quite a bit from the, my contemporary students. It, it kind of kept going until high school when they found out that I was a musician. For some reason, if you're playing guitar in a rock band, you're, you're cool, even if you talk about aliens and UFOs. It's but, helpful. <laughs> but my, my teacher called my mom in for a parent-teacher conference. and. Wow. I, I was playing in the school play yard. Uh, it wasn't like parent-teacher conference week. The other kids weren't weren't in line, you know, with their parents. It was just my mom and I was playing alone in the playground. Uh, so anyway, she's driving me home, and on the way home, my mom says, "So, son, she's very, very quiet at first. Uh, she said, "Son, I'm not mad, 
but your teacher told me about you telling your class about the city under the desert and UFOs and all that. She said, I'm not mad at you. I didn't, I, I didn't think you would remember when I told you. And then she's driving a bit more and she looks at me and she goes, how did you remember that? You were just a baby. Five. Five. Yeah, <laughs> you were a baby. But, you know, my mom kind of, she learned the hard way that I, you know, I, I had a good memory and I remember stuff. I still do, you know. Um, she never told my sister by the way, she, my sister never got the similar story. I, I asked her and, you know, it's like, what are you talking about? Um, but anyway, that, that was, uh, she said, son, you can't talk about this. You can't tell anybody about this. And especially you can't talk about it in school. Your mom could get in a horrible, horrible trouble. And she, then she said, she told she you that. that. Mm -hmm. She said, your mom could get into horrible trouble. And then she said, your mom could go to prison. Wow. She wow. said, people don't know about this stuff. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I wasn't supposed to tell you what I told you, but I thought you were young enough that you would forget. And, and I, I wanted to talk about it to somebody. So that was my introduction to the world of, of, of strangeness. You uh, was deep underground military bases. Uh, I found out later on, uh, uh, 1977, we went to see Star Wars. My mom kept getting cancers. It finally killed her back in 1999. It, they were all unrelated. They weren't metastasized cancers. They were individual. Her doctor said something to the effect of it. It's almost as though you were irradiated or something. And, and now I found out, um, after talking with Richard Souter, who's written uh, quite a few books on our deep underground military bases, um, I, I had a, a conversation with him and he said, oh, you'd be surprised how many of those people died from uh, radiation, you know, related diseases and cancers. They were experimenting. They were trying to figure it out, the technology. Yeah. I, 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 I don't know what my mom was doing or what, you know, I had one guy from the DOD that, that one guy just told me, I've read your mom's file. She was not lying to you. You could be really proud of your mom. And I said, well, can you tell me, can you read a little bit from her file to me? And he said, nope. He said, your mom's file is sealed. But I felt like, you know, I, I, I owed that to you to let you know that uh, your mom wasn't lying to you. And you can be, you can feel very proud of her. I had another guy from officialdom who I don't know if I trust what he told me. But uh, if, if he was correct. My mom's actually dealing with ETs, but I, I again, you know, I, I I don't know why these guys would go on record with me, why they would tell me that, because it's, you know, I, I believe they're trying to hide this stuff with everything they they have in their arsenal. They they do not want uh, disclosure to happen. They would have to, you know, answer too many questions about bad behaviors along the way, the ridicule and. It does seem strange, though, that part of the there, there's just a little niche of the military that's coming out saying, "Oh, it exists. It's out there." Just like that fellow, the Grus who was Grusin was the guy you were talking about. Mm -hmm. Seems to be a faction that's kind of okay with it, and then there's a whole big faction of the old school that are like, "This is not for public consumption at all." Right. Well, my mom talked about it one more time. It was 1977. It was after we saw Star Wars. We were in Santa Monica. We were kind of, that's where she lived when she was working at Hughes. 
uh, at first. And uh, after the film ended, my mom started talking. And for me at that time, I was a pre-seminary student, and I didn't really have room for aliens in my, my pantheon at that point. That's about 19 years old. And she started just blah. She said, son, you have no idea how close to the truth that movie is. The different races, the, the spaceships and all that. She said, it really is like that out there. She said, we already know. And she, she again, she reiterated what she said when I was five-year-old. She said that, uh, you know, that, that, it, that we already know there's intelligent life. It's not an abstract or a question. She said, though, she said, well, the one thing I remember really well was she said they're never, ever going to tell the public. Thanks for listening. For more of An Intrepid Adventure, go to markglenmore.com. This has been a Paul Robinson production. See you soon.